And you've tuned in to another episode of The Wellness Couch, 3ABR 87.6 FM, where science meets ancient wisdom. Uh, we've got Dr. Sonia Moore on tonight. She's uh, a senior clinical physiotherapist at ASMC, and she's also a level one strength and conditioning coach, and she leads the postgraduate sports and medicine programs at uh, the University of Melbourne. Now, when she's not at the beach at Apollo Bay, she comes and visits from Melbourne, she balances this with keeping herself and her family, including her four young children, happy, healthy and active. And she's always worked extensively in performance sport in Australia and uh, internationally, including the 2018 Commonwealth Games, uh, the 2006 Commonwealth Games, the 2000 Paralympic Games, um, in the Victorian Institute of Sport, and she's also uh, been in uh, high-performance sports such as uh, Netball Victoria, English Institute of Sport. Um, she had Team Gambaya and Team Bath. She, she's got special interest in supporting the development of junior athletes and supporting high-performance athletes, including assisting athletes of all sports, all ages and abilities to participate injury-free to the best of their capabilities. Having completed an international level in netball, she's well-versed. Um, she's also completed a doctorate in health at the University of Bath, comprising three substantial research projects, International Federation of Sports Physio, the uh, competencies and AMP standards, and uh, best of all, and this is what uh, why we connected, the water immersion in athlete recovery and EMG functional wavelets. So let's introduce uh, Dr. Sonia Moore. expert online. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Kat. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we heard a little bit about your illustrious career through through the (laughs) intro there, but um, before we get doing, go into the deep dive on that, can you just tell us a little bit about how you, how you got onto this path? Yeah, thanks, Brad. I think illustrious is a a pretty big word there, but I think um, the journey goes back as far as you want to take it really. I think as a as a kid, I used to sign myself up for lots of things. Um, yep. I loved any type of sport, um, particularly netball and little ass, which I continued through to senior and international level. Um, but I also remember at primary school, I used to always want to be the kid that handed out the Band-Aids or if someone hurt themselves, <laughs> I, was always, <laughs> I was always the one that wanted to find out what happened and, and were they okay and, and um, if I could help fix them. Um, and so I think as I grew older, I still like to play sport um, of any type. Um, whether I was good at it or not. <laughs> um, and also I was fascinated with how the body worked and how, how it was made up. So anatomy and physiology, I was very much a science geek, um, but also also interested in why we didn't always apply the science. You know, we, we sort of knew how things worked, um, but why people, despite that, would always sort of choose to do things differently. Yeah, it's um, funny too. I guess like, as you say, you're growing up through those youth programs of Little Aths and, and Nepal, and as, as you get older, you start to know that there is science behind the way some teams warm up, but quite often that gets lost, especially in the community teams, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. I, I think it does. And I think when you're a kid, if you step back into the mind you were when you were a kid, um, you're out there playing because you, you love playing. And then you think, well, how could I do that a bit better? Or, or you feel good when you do it a bit better or faster. Um, so sometimes it's about learning these things from the inside out. Um, and then if you're lucky enough, you get you get some great coaches and you get some enthusiastic coaches and, and they teach you how to do things a bit better. Um, and I think um, sometimes that gets lost in community sport, but I, I think I'd like to think now in my role that we're starting to do it a really lot better. 
yeah. um, that you know the coaches are really interested in um, wellness of athletes of all ages and abilities and and we're interested in having juniors and seniors and people of all ages in sport participating um, as well as doing it um, the best that they can yeah that's fantastic now obviously you operate at, at such a high level I've looked at your resume what's what's a day like in your life um, managing yeah. top performance you know athletes yeah so I think um, I think that's always the thing that, that comes to mind when when you uh, look at look at a resume is, is what's the what's the exciting things that are part of the day and, and <laughs> what, what's been on TV and when were you on the radio last? Um, and certainly those are parts of my job that I, I really enjoy. Um, yeah, I'm really pleased to be here this evening. Um, but I think if I, if I go to my day today, uh, I got up just before six this morning and went for a run just down in my, my local um, woodlands and, and garden down by the river. Um, so that's just a really nice way to start the day. So straight away you start off with sport and exercise being there for enjoyment um, and well-being as much as physical activity. Yeah. Um, then I come home in time to, to get my four children ready for school and kinder, um, three breakfasts and out the door. And I had a really great day today. It was uh, I did one of my favourite things, which was then go and be a parent helper at the kids into school swimming. Oh, oh great, yeah. So, so that's where I spent today at the kids into school swimming. And I've certainly spent days at Commonwealth Games and international swimming. Uh, I used to work for British swimming. Um, yeah. But I have to say... Um, both of those types of swimming sports are great fun to to be at. Imagine the pressure. It's, it's probably the same, isn't it? Like some of those little kids still feel the pressure just like the elite athletes do, don't they? That's right. That's exactly right. And and I think, um, you know, there were certainly some, some kids there this morning that had an absolutely fantastic time and were really proud of how they swam and they got blue and red and green ribbons. Um, and there's some other kids that, you know, we cheered on to and they made it to the end of the pool and they were just as excited. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I think you can flip that one around the other way too, Brett, and say even though we have some international and world-class swimmers, you know, they are also really enjoying what they do when they're at one of those major international events. Yeah. yeah that's a buzz yeah. as well. Yeah. What's the importance of sport, the physical therapy that you actually do? Yeah, I think, um, well, there's, there's a couple of sides to that. I, I think we keep coming back to the performance sport side of things because that's a big part of my role. Um, and so one of the importance is, one of the really important things with that type of athlete is just the physical preparation and the ability to be in that um, physical condition to be able to perform at that level and be able to perform at what that athlete knows and believes is their best. Um, and then often what we believe also they can do better if, if we can see opportunities there. So that, that's one sort of side of, of um, the importance of the physical therapy. Um, and the other side of it is, um, again, if we take this back to the community level or, or juniors, it's about being able to participate for your, for your health and your well-being um, and your enjoyment. There's lots of social, social things happen around sport and exercise and people feel good generally when they can do things to the best of their ability, whatever that level is. Yeah, there's probably a misconception in some sports. Like, like I know I got into running there for a while, and I believed that I could run because I've always run. But then when I got injured, my physio said, "Well, mate, you're running the wrong way." Um, and I go, "Well, how can you run the wrong way? It's you know, you just put one foot in front of the other and you start running." But he had, he actually trained me to rerun, like how to run differently. So 
I wasn't going to injure myself. So, and breathing is the same part of that too, isn't it? So I'm, I'm sure that there's probably things that you do that encapture all that type of stuff. So training people to use their body in the right way, get the right biomechanics going, how to breathe right. Um, so how to, what sort of, I guess, what role does that play or how much of a role does that play in what you teach your athletes? Yeah, that's, that's a really great point, Brett. I think um, you're right. We take things for granted. Oh, many of us take things for granted that we can walk, we can run, um, we yeah. can jump, we can do what we choose to do. Um, so when that when someone becomes injured, you know, that gets taken away. Um, so that that's important to, to recognise that, that first important step to people. Um, I think before then we go on and we talk about, um, as you say, running is automatic um, and breathing is automatic. They're two really interesting things you picked up on from a scientific point of view because they're, they're, yeah. Yeah, but they're, they're probably two of the things that are, are controlled in the, the locomotor or the, the automatic part of the brain yeah. um, so they are actually automatic we don't think about it um, unless we start to consciously think about it um, yeah. and they're also two things which we can consciously think about and override um, what's there and reteach or retrain or focus on yeah. to an extent so obviously the role goes beyond the treatment injury to, to a much broader role, which um, in, includes providing assistance um, when musculoskeletal maintenance and recovery as well as injury prevention strategies. Um, so it's not just about, you know, um, treatment of, of the injuries. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think first and foremost we think of treatment of the injury because that's often why... Um, as a sports physiotherapist, that's often why someone comes to us and they say, mm. can you treat this for me? Can you help me with this? Um, and so it, it certainly starts out as being the musculoskeletal problem or, or the structural injury, you know, often that's really clear what it is. Um, sometimes it's less clear and we have to figure it out. Um, but as soon as we start to talk about treatment, um, we, we prefer to talk about management because treatment means I'm doing something to you um, yeah. often. Um, and actually what we're really much more interested in how is how do we go about this? Um, tell me what else there is about you that means that this is important, yeah. um, which is going to influence actually what we're going to do about this together um, rather than just what I'm going to do to you or I'm going to tell you to do this. And, uh, Brett, you need to just go away and change how you run because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong. You know, it, it can't be too wrong. Um, it could possibly be better. But, um yeah. Well, apparently, um, I was running with my calves and not my quads. So, yeah. so I mean, <laughs> that was a challenge. So, a lot of times you'd find um, the challenge of facing ongoing management of pre existing conditions, obviously, you know, like the overuse of um, injuries that were already existent in, in existence. Yeah, that, that's, a real, that's a real topical thing, too, Kat. Um, so that's right, because if, you, if you're carrying an injury, um, you're not going to be performing at your best if you're yeah. an elite athlete. Um, if you're a community-level person, you know, it, it stops being so fun when things hurt all the time. Um, so often, you know, we're trying to make things better for you um, and how we go about that. Um, and as always, there's a good scientific term that we can sort of put into that frame, and, and uh, it's very topical at the moment to talk about load management. Yeah. So we used to talk about an overuse injury. Look, you ran too much and then this happened to you. Um, but actually what we recognise now is, you know, the body has a capacity, um, a load tolerance where it's if it's, it's happy zone, if you like. Yeah. Um, and if you go too far over it in one go, your body's going to feel a bit unhappy. 
Um, <laughs> and if you if you're too far under it, then you know your body doesn't doesn't adapt the training, and you you don't improve as as much as you'd like. Um, so one of our jobs is to get that get that load management right, or pick that happy zone of of how much exercise is good exercise, um, and how much keeps you enjoying that. Um, yeah, and do you find that's different for each person? Like I know it'd be different, say, between myself and an elite athlete, but when you're talking at that elite level, is that vastly different between each person? Because I'm sure there's there'll be some athletes that just have a natural gift and you just go, okay, well, that, that kid's got it. Um, but there's those that just work super hard, but they're still performing at that elite level. And between different sports too, yeah, different muscular usage, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely different between people and between sports and you know, perhaps some of that is is inbuilt. You know, people have a genetic predisposition to be able to tolerate high loads of training, um, and others, you know, less. Um, but if we use the example of, I guess, you know, if you if you're an everyday person, I think the the number that gets bandied around um, is ten thousand steps per day. You know, yeah. is, is good for your health. <laughs> so ten thousand steps per day is good for your health. Is is a fairly um, ballpark figure. You know, if you're normally if you normally walk about three thousand steps then 10,000 is way too much for you. Um, yeah, okay. But we can design you a program to build you up to that, that level safely. Um, if you're someone who is an elite swimmer, you might we might be swimming 7,000 to 10,000 metres per session wow. um, over yeah. the course of the week. Wow. You know, so it's, it's vastly different. Um, and a baseball pitcher, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really good example because baseball is... Um, in the junior levels, are only allowed to throw a certain number of pitches per game. Um, oh, really? Okay. It, yeah, it overloads their elbow, um, and we know it really, really predisposes them to injury. So we're really oh. careful with junior athletes, um, and particular things that that you know we we want to protect them from in terms of injury. Yeah. Um, but that follows through to the elite. You know, the real fast pitchers, same thing. They go on. They're on rotations. Um, yeah. So that they don't throw, overthrow the number of pitches um, that can yeah. lead to injury. Yeah. Now, obviously, for you, I mean, looking at your resume again, it can be difficult and pressurized for you when um, those measured outcomes of an injured athlete rely on you. You know, like the, those basic outcomes are always relying on the physio to do the work. Get, get them back on the field. Yeah, get them back on the field. Get the fans, you know, waving their little hands at them again. Management, coaches, all putting all that pressure on you once again. Yeah, that's right. I think I think you definitely feel that pressure sometimes, um, but that's part of the job as well. Um, it's part of being good at your job, I think, as well, being able to manage that pressure and think clearly when you make these decisions because they're important decisions. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I think um, how we, you know, there's sort of two contexts that we make these, we call them return to play decisions, if you like. Yeah. Um, if someone's been injured, you know, do it, can they return um, or can they continue? Um, and I think it's, it's nice if we make them in rehab or, or sort of in a, a daily training environment where we can sit around together. So with the athlete and the physio and anyone else who, who might be involved in this, whether it's a coach or the doctors, whichever okay. team you have with your, pe with your people, um, we need to put everything on the table. We need to put on the table, um, you know, what, what the injury is, what our goals are, um, what's important to this athlete. Um, perhaps a timeline of, of major events that, that we're looking at. We need to put all those things on the table and make a really balanced decision about 
um, what's the most important things, um, yep. where there's potential risk and, and um, you know, I guess risk tolerance. I don't really like the word risk tolerance. Um, it's really acknowledging the risk um, yep. and making a really good balanced decision with all things considered that everyone's happy with. Because part of that decision, especially if you're talking about a professional athlete in a team, it's not the team's also looking at getting that player back on the field because they want to win the championship, don't they? So yeah. it's about balancing the health of the individual with the goals and the outcomes of the team, isn't it? And I guess what the, then the management of that team come back with. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, and, and just um, avoiding permanent injury too. I mean, that's why you're feeling so pressurised, aren't you? It's coming from all corners. Yeah. That's right. I think we, we often watch the footy and the soccer and we see injured players getting subbed in and out. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a really nice um, nice opportunity to have when you have a big big team list and you can sub people in and out because you can you can remove that injured player or that injured player can can um, not not participate without enormous consequences um, to the team, you know, or to themselves. Yeah. But is but that a snap you, decision? If, Sorry, is that a snap decision you normally have to make? Like at football um, games when it's happening between the coaches between yeah. The, yeah. So it's it's interesting that you asked that question, Kat. It is. So so that's a, what we call a field of play decision. So you're on the field of play. You've got to make a decision really quickly. Is that within so five minutes? Have, within five well, minutes. Well, sometimes you've got sometimes you've got thirty seconds. It depends wow. on the sport. Wow. So so in netball, you've got thirty seconds to have them off the court. <laughs> um, so so you have to know the rules of the sport that you are. That you're, I guess, that you're on the sidelines for. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you compare that to AFL, if you know you can stop play if there's a concussion or a suspected concussion or a major injury, so they'll stop play, and you can take the time you need to safely remove the player. Um, but if you're in a in a different type of situation, you might have 30 seconds, you might have a two minute injury timeout, yeah, um, and you've got to make that decision. Um, and I can I can probably share an example with you. Um, yeah, that'd be good. Had a, a Commonwealth Games athlete um, who was in the gold medal position um, in one of the jumping events, and he became injured, <laughs> and uh, you know called for the physio. And I think if you're the physio, you think, well, I don't really want to be in the limelight here. This isn't <laughs> no pressure. Um, just going for a gold medal. No, yeah. So that's right, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I was down at, at the fence, and um, we had a camera in our face, and I was I could see myself up on the the scoreboard up on the projected up on the big screen and um and I thought oh goodness you know I didn't sign up for this. Took, <laughs> so this is what it's all about and um and I took my sunglasses and the, the cloud the crowd was roaring it was really noisy so I took my sunglasses off and looked him right in the eye and said what I needed to say um and he did a great big cheer and he and he ran off or jogged off and I thought oh I wonder if he heard me um <laughs> And and uh, what he said to me afterwards is, and he didn't he didn't continue to to participate. Oh wow! He stopped. Um, he stopped, and and I said, I thought you were going to take your jump, and he said, No, no. He said, The minute you took your sunglasses off, I knew you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes it's not even just what you say; it's just yeah. sort of conveying that you know what you're in the gold medal position already. You know, look, you, your career's ahead of you. Um, yeah, that's all. That's all you need to say, and then it's for the athlete can make their decision. You know, there. Um, but also, as a physio, you have the responsibility to, I guess, explain the science of it and explain the reasoning 
Um, and in that situation, I had about 10 seconds, wow. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to sort of get that, get that, um, well, seriousness is the wrong word, the, the gravity, you know, look, the importance of this decision that you're about to make or that we're trying to make together in this less than ideal situation where we can't actually hear each other. Yeah. Um, you know, this is important. So you've got to diagnose it, talk, think about the long-term effect of it. Um, think about their career, you know, long-term yeah. injury and impact. The, yeah. the, guy, well, the person's probably been working flat out for the last four years for this, Just to get there. For this moment <laughs> in time. That's right. And it's all there in that moment. Um, and it's really easy in that moment to make a bad decision. Yeah. Um, so you almost have to be prepared for that type of situation as much as you could be. Yeah. Um, again, it comes back to the clarity of thought and yep. com- confidently and clearly delivering the key points of the message. So we couldn't have had a diagnosis in 30 seconds, um, but you can have a clear enough picture to decide whether or not this is safe for this person to continue now or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm assuming that there is a difference between uh, a physio that people go to for an injury, but also then someone who specialises like yourself as, as a sports High physio. High performance, yeah, sport physio, yeah. Could you sort of explain for the audience a little bit how, how that differs? Yeah, I, I um, it, it really doesn't differ too much. Um, I work at Alphington Sports Medicine Clinic in Melbourne. And so if you ring up the clinic, you can make an appointment to see me. So I see people from the community of all ages and abilities on a day-to-day basis here in Melbourne. Um, so we talk about the 80-20, the 80-20 rule. I think it comes up in, in all sorts of contexts. Yeah. But I think 80, 80% of the people that I work with are normal everyday people um, you know, with their own goals and their own expectations around sport and exercise. And I really enjoy that part of my work. And I guess then you have the 20% of people that are perhaps the the performance athletes um, who are still there with their own goals and their own circumstances to enjoy sport and exercise, um, but they just have a different set of goals and a different set of expectations. Yeah, nice. That's nice. So... um... Some of the areas of performance that athletes need to develop or create a roadmap to high performance. Do you do you go through any of that? Yeah. So from factors, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think um, if we take it from the time, if if someone were to be injured, you know, one of the first things that we have to consider is is what the injury is and and what's the healing time frame. You know, how how safe is it to get back, get this person back to doing the things they want to do and how long is that going to take us? That's often the first question I get asked is, well, the first two questions, what is wrong with me and how long is this going to take? (laughs) Is that that interdependent too on them being compliant as well? It has to be, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it is. Um, So I think compliance, another one of those words that means you're going to do what I tell you to do. (laughs) Actually, Doesn't that come up a lot in clinic? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. If you're compliant and you do this, um, that's going to take two weeks. Um, If you don't do what I say, it's going to take a bit longer. Um, But I think really that that comes back to that initial understanding. I I think we'd much rather have that discussion. It's a shared decision. Look, if we set about it this way, um, this is how long it can take if if we work on these things together. And there'll be some people that want to do it as quick as they can. And there'll be some people that would rather take a little bit longer. Um, and, and it's a bit of a more manageable manageable journey. So I think there's that. 
Um, but then I guess your question was, you know, what, what do we look for if we're, we're trying to get someone to performance? So from that, that injury time, um, and you brought it up before, Brett, you know, when you can't do something, you take it for granted and now you're injured and you can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so it is about getting back. Um, so we, we're doing our best to, you know, regain function and regain strength. And we want to do it at least to the level that you were before. Um, so that's another step in the process. Um, but being a sport and exercise physio, um, and if, you, if you've ever been my patient before, someone I've worked with, I'm always going to say, yeah, but don't you want to be like even better than you were before? Because if we do these few things, then, um, you know, we can help with performance and, and also we can probably reduce the chance of this injury coming back. So I think it's often about what we can do to take it that, that step mm -hmm. further as well. And that's some of the things you talked about, Brett, sort of what, what can we see in your running that maybe led to this happening that we can, we can help yep. with, um, stop that happening again. Yeah. Do you also help um, junior athletes transition to elite level? Yeah, it's actually one of my favourite things um, <laughs> to do. I've, I've, worked with a, um, I've worked with lots of junior athletes and very particularly what I think the broad umbrella term would be development athletes. So those would be athletes that are on a talent identification pathway. So they might have, um, might have, you know, really shone in sport as a junior, um, and then and then we can see that they have many of the qualities that would, would take them to performance at a senior level. So one of my roles in the in the UK was to work with the British Tennis Academy, and we had um, athletes aged seven to about sixteen. Um, and they sort of lived in lived in Bath, and they they did sort of half of their time at school and half of their time in the in the training centre. Um, oh, yeah, I and that, that was a job oh, I loved. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I love working with with children and, and children of people of that age. Um, and then you can see straight away that it's definitely about sport because they're sport and performance because that's what they're there to do. Oh, uh, that's what they're here with us to do, and they've made a really big. Their families have made a really big commitment. Um, to this so again it's our responsibility to to bring the best out of them as best as we can um, but they're also in that that crucial phase of life where there's so many other things that matter um, and so we have a responsibility to to make sure that those things um, fit really nicely into the picture as well in terms of wellness um, schooling and, and ongoing education opportunities um, we certainly consider and talk to the athletes about all those things um, all the time. Yeah. Is it always about innate physical ability in the sport with these juniors? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I have to say, it's it's more often than not part of it because if you, if you didn't have that or some form of innate physical ability, it would be very hard to be at that level. Um, but there's certainly a really lot to be to be said for then the commitment and the ability to to focus on training and the, the desire to go through that pathway and, and, and psychologically as well. Do you see a lot of yeah, that? Like the, yeah, definitely. Um, and that's that's something that's really topical uh, as well. Um, I hope it's in, increasing um, for our athletes. Is our recognition of how important that is? I think we've always known it is important. Um, but just how important that is. And very much so, um, just like we've talked about injury prevention, you know, we, we wouldn't like to intervene when something has gone wrong or the, you know, the wheels have come off. Um, we'd rather actually proactively 
um, involve a sports psychologist and involve athlete wellness teams um, to help young athletes develop those psychological skills um, that come with life challenges. Some, some extra additional and specific ones come with, you know, the, the ambition to exceed in, in performance sport. Um, but generally speaking, those, those also are life skills. Yeah. Uh, and it's really great when we, when we have help and um, when we see those developing in, in young athletes because they'll hopefully carry them sort of through their life. Yeah. So you, you talked about those life skills. Part of that's resilience, isn't it? So what sort of things that you, do you do to teach, that, especially kids, especially at seven? Like what, what sort of things do you put into the program to build resilience? Because I guess resilience is a yeah. topical word, even in, in the corporate world at the yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was just going to say, how do you teach resilience? That's, that's all, that I, if we could all work that out, um, yeah, we'd be in a fantastic spot. I think I think the best analogy I heard actually was from my kids' primary school. Um, again, was if you're in a roller coaster, imagine you're in a roller coaster and your mum and dad are in the front and the kids are in the back and you know you're going down the down the big the big dip, um, and someone's got their eyes shut, the other person's screaming, one of the kids <laughs> is saying, "This is fantastic," and they've got this massive grin on their face, um, you know. And so four people in the same having the same ride can have four completely different experiences yeah, of what true. it feels like. Yep. And they all wanted to get on the ride. They all want to be there. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you just want to get off. <laughs> but then you want to get on again. You know, so so the the description of resilience that I liked also was um, that this person was talking about was, you know, could you change seats with someone? Wow. That's so now you've fun. seen the look yeah, now you've seen a look on all these these people's face in this roller coaster. You know, could you change seats? You know, you're, you've got your eyes shut and you're hating every minute of it. What if you, what if, you know, could you be the, the one that's um, enjoying this? How'd you be if you tried to do that? Um, you know, and so I guess there's ways to, to reflect on that. Um, the first being to recognise how it is that you're feeling. <laughs> Which yeah. one of these people are you? <laughs> I, was, I was three of them, eyes closed, <laughs> screaming and hating it. Yeah. Oh, go for it. Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Yeah. Is it obvious to what makes a player likely to succeed? When you first see that person, can you see um, uh, characteristics that would make them succeed? Is it obvious to you? I think often when, when they're obvious, you really can see them and they stand out. Um, I think they certainly develop and they certainly come with practice. So if you don't see them straight away, it doesn't mean that they're not there. Okay. Um, but I'll give you another example of a, um, a swimmer who came into a program I was working with um, came in as a, a very young teenager. And one of the things you do in swimming or in other sports is you do heart rate sets. So, you know, you've yeah. got to swim and keep your heart rate in the zone. Um, and so generally the idea is that you go fast for some of the reps and then, yep. you know, you recover, you go a bit slower. And the idea is you can do lots more fast sets because you've had the recovery in between. Yeah. Um, and this particular very young teenage swimmer came in and could not swim slowly. Couldn't do it. Could only sure. swim fast <laughs> every time, um, and has gone on to win several Olympic medals. Oh yeah. And so we often reflect back on on that, um, you know, about sort of wondering if we could slow her down a bit, and glad that we didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've actually been a physio at more than one um, Commonwealth Games, but one of them you actually were the team physio for a South American. Country. Could you share a little bit about that? Guyana, yeah. 
Yeah. So at the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, um, I was the physio for Guyana, which is, uh, yeah, it is a small South American nation, um, part of the part of the Commonwealth. And they brought a, a small team um, of 20 or so athletes across about nine different sports. Wow. And um, I was very privileged to be their physio for those couple of weeks on, on the Gold Coast. Um, and I think that that's just, again, a really great experience to sort of say, look, we're there in performance sport. It's the Commonwealth Games. It's a, it's a huge event. Um, and given that we're in Australia, I mean, we, we know the importance of, of the Australian team and their performance. You know, we sort of relish in some of that, their performances. Um, and, and I was uh, had the privilege of being with this smaller country who were there just loving every minute of being no, at the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Um, and certainly uh, I was there for um, Guyana's first Commonwealth Games gold medal in oh, history, wow. yep. which was just absolutely amazing. So congratulations, Troy Doris, in the men's triple jump. Fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah so that was fantastic. Um, again, if we flip that around, and, and I think um, I spent a lot of time at the Ath track um, at, at the Commonwealth Games, and we had some other okay. track and field athletes as well. Um, and I think if you go down to the warm-up track at the back of the back of Carrara, there's a whole lot of tents set up where the athletes can come and warm up and they put their gear in and, you know, they, they can have their massage or their stretches or their pre-race snack, or whatever they want to do. And if you have a look at some of the other, other nations where performance is, you know, performance is why they're there. It's hugely important. They're there early. They've staked out their own tents. They've decorated it in their flags and, and things like that. <laughs> Um, and it's really fun and an amazing sort of place to be down on the warm-up track. And then down the end of the road, there's sort of a couple of spare tents, and that that's sort of for people that come and go, you know, the, the smaller countries or, you know, people with less resources. And so one morning I, I had three athletes competing. So I got down there early when it when the gates first opened and I and I um I got first dibs on one of these tents and um, wrote in athletic tape on the back wall, Guyana. <laughs> um, yeah, and when the athletes turned up, they're like, we've got our own tent. Um, <laughs> and they were just wrapped that we had our own tent and we had our own space um, and it had their country's name on it. Um, and so that was just a, a fantastic experience at the Commonwealth Games um, for them and for me to be part of that with them. That's amazing, yeah. yeah. So, um, something I'm really interested in, and obviously your your professional app, but um, we all know the Wim Hof method is very popular at the moment, and we're lucky enough to have you on our show tonight, Sonia Moore. You've done your professional doctorate in health, water immersion in athlete recovery. So, what were the outcomes of the grueling research? I mean, you tackled it from 2006 to 2012. What a doctorate! Yeah, that's right. Much information <laughs> that right. you have. You're, you're quite a library on this athlete recovery water immersion it, it, it took a little while to get that doctorate done i had two children <laughs> along the way in those few years as well um yeah i guess the, the wim hof method I, i'm just looking at this which is breathing cold therapy and commitment um so you know that that is pretty pretty full on i think um, my research was about um water immersion athlete recovery as people know we often use ice baths um, yeah. in athlete recovery the theory being that um you know, we've been running around, you're hot, you're sweaty, you've got lots of circulation through your, through your legs, um, through wherever part of your body, or if you're a rugby player, you, you've, you've got bumps and bruises all over you. Um, and it sounds like a really great idea to, to jump in an ice bath and just cool all that down. 
or into the ocean. You do see a lot of footballers going to the ocean during training, uh, after training. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Into the ocean um, and netball way back in the day, we used to get into wheelie bins of cold water. (laughs) So really (laughs) athletes for a long time have been using whatever they have to do this. Winter sport athletes will will sort of go and smash it, go find a, a frozen lake, smash the ice. To, to wow. put their feet and legs in. Um, so people have been doing this for a long time. And that's what led me to my research. So I, at the time, then was working with British Beach Volleyball Team, um, which is these athletes said to me, I really hate the cold water. I don't, it doesn't make me feel good at all. Um, but we had in place these protocols that said, well, you know, this is what you do after your event. Yeah. Your recovery you need to go in the ice bath and they were telling me they felt dreadful so that led to to this piece of research where we then said well let's have a look at this and and see if we can understand um firstly the effects but i, I don't know that we've answered that question fully yet but you know does it make enough of a difference to to make it comply have athletes comply with us to hop in an ice bath? yeah to have a yeah. template telling yeah. us right yeah when they're telling us they don't feel good um, so we, so my project was about comparing cold water immersion um, to warm water immersion, which was a hydro pool, to just sitting and chilling out next to the next to the edge of the pool, which was the control group. So yeah. we looked at two different water temperatures. So um, what was the cold the water temperature, group. Sonia? Was that like ice bath, or was it like yeah. going to the yeah. ocean down here at Apollo Bay, where it's probably fifteen <laughs> degrees? <laughs> yeah, Big, somewhere in between four degrees. Yeah, okay. Four degrees was our, so this is at the University of Bath. There's a purpose-built plunge pool, as yep. many sports facilities have, and ours was at four degrees. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the the warm pool, the hydro pool next to it was was at about 28 degrees. But most spas and things are about 32. Yeah. Um, we know that's too hot. We know that's unhelpful, um, certainly for recovery. But yeah, so so um, Apollo Bay water is my favourite type of water in the world. I, I think I'd take that over anything. Um, but I think what we <laughs> what we know is, uh, yeah, I think I think what we sort of showed in this research was 50-50 athletes preferred cold, fifty percent of the athletes preferred warm, and none of them preferred to do nothing. Wow. So what's yeah. the determinants? Did you find anything in common? Was it body type, shape, uh, or, or sport? You know, type of sport they played. Any commonalities yeah. there? We, we couldn't find, I, I have to say, I pulled the data apart as ma- many different ways as I could think of, um, and we just really couldn't, just couldn't find any difference. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so obviously, obviously there's a scientific rigour that we follow when we, when we analyse the data, um, but we had, we had athletes from different sports. They were from team sports. Um, so they were generally athletes who we ran them for 90 minutes. So we had a 90 minute running protocol. So we ran them to fatigue. We were very certain mm. we fatigued them because um, we took the, the pre-exercise and post-exercise measures. So that's the first thing we knew that they were in a fatigued state. Um, and then we, then we had a look at um, jumps, hops, um, quad strength, hamstring strength, um, and, and some blood measures uh, after they'd been in the warm water compared to the cold water, compared to not having done anything. And we really couldn't show any difference. Wow. Um, yeah, but the other measure that we did have was um, perceived fatigue and perceived recovery. On a scale of 1 to 10, uh, do you feel mm-hmm. like you're recovered? Um, do you feel like you're fatigued? 
uh, and, and overwhelmingly they wanted to do something, not nothing. So they wanted to be yeah. in the water rather than not doing anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there was no difference between the warm or the cold. Um, so that was a nice finding for us because we could sort of say, well, look, you know, if you, if you prefer one or the other, we can't really, we can't really see a reason to, to make you against your will mm -hmm. or against what you're telling us feels good oh. um, to do that. Let's do oh. what feels good. Um, we then did a follow-up study um, because it's, it's not a finding of insignificance necessarily. It's like, well, why, why is this? Why, why do they want to do mm. something? Not mm. nothing. If it's nothing to do with the temperature, what is it to do with? Yeah. That, that's the next question. And so I interviewed um, a lot of international coaches and experts around the world in different sports um, and said to them, well, do you, do you use ice baths? Do you use water recovery? And they all said, yes, we do. And I said, well, why do you use them? And, and uh, basically collated all the yeah. reasons of why they use these ice baths. And there was certainly um, a perception of the science. So, and I think that's what we, we read today. Well, people have a perception that ice baths yeah. are helpful. They think it changes the circulation or, you know, we, we think the it, vascular it, it, yeah. it helps with the vascular system. Yeah. Yeah. There's loads of, loads of theories. And, and um, so there's, there's all those theories and everyone has a different one. Um, and actually what it came down to is, is the reasons of why we use these in certainly in development sport, if we come back to that junior and up and coming athletes is, is so that they can learn how to look after their bodies and do something to help themselves recover. You know, so they've, they've played their sport and actually now we need to debrief. We need to switch off. Yep. We're going to take a deep breath and we're going to focus now on recovering from what it is that we just did. Um, and that can take, many different shapes you know certainly you need to get the food in you need food and energy in that's, that's really important yeah. yep. we know that you need to have good sleep we know how important that is um so so go with the evidence-informed stuff first get those things done really well because we know they're helpful um and then actually what are some of the other things that we can do that make ourselves um, calm down and recover from what we just did um and depending on your sport what you might need to do next you know if you're, you're in a tournament you might need to be backing up again for the next day um so it is, again we come back to this sort of um frame of mind and, and psychological recovery and learning about how to look after yourself as best as you can um, and take advantage of the opportunities that that are there um, and learn to know which ones make you feel good it's not going to be the same as the next person yeah, that's interesting because I know I don't necessarily enjoy going into the cold water down here at the bay, um, but I, I feel fantastic when I come out. Um, but that also depends on how long I'm in for. So if I'm in there for like without a wetsuit um, and fully submerged for say 10 minutes, some days that's okay, but other days I'll just be cold for the rest of the day. Like I've just got to chill. But other days if I'm there yeah. between like five, five or so minutes, I come out and I feel fantastic. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting that you say it's just depends on how people feel about it as opposed to what the science is about what's actually going on with their blood work or their recovery rates. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's right. If, if we bring the science back into it for a moment, I think um, a lot of those studies that are done in water immersion are done in deep sea divers. Um, and we know that after 10 minutes of water immersion in whatever temperature it is, that, that we do see circulatory effects. So yeah. there is something to be said for staying in for 10 minutes or longer. Um, but if you 
if you sort of say, well, the water's way too cold, it's sometimes really hard to stay in for that long. And then just like you said, Brett, you know, it might it might work wonders for your circulation, but it's made you cold for the whole rest of the day. You know, yeah. that, that can't be good for your recovery. Yeah. No, not really. Now, you're also a sports medicine program coordinator at the Uni of Melbourne. Can you tell us about the online graduate courses that you've actually become a lead in sports medicine, the Master of Sports Medicine course that you can study online? You're, you're obviously the yeah. facilitator, aren't you? That's right. So, so I'm the I'm the program coordinator of the Master of Sports Medicine program at the University of Melbourne, and that's a program we designed really to for physiotherapists, doctors, and podiatrists to progress their knowledge and their careers in pretty much all the a lot of the things we've talked about this evening. Um, you know, as a as a physio, as a graduate graduate health professional, um, you have lots and lots of skills in in healthcare and in your um, particular profession, and if you want to continue your career in, in sports and exercise and help athletes in that sort of specific way, um, you need to have a really good understanding of the science and the evidence around mm. all these topical things that people talk about. Uh, it's just really great to have a chat about it. Um, you know, the dinner, the dinner party conversation is fantastic, um, but actually you need to have a really good understanding of the science and the how and the why um, and the importance of developing yeah. skills in, in that area. So, so that's what we do at the, in the Masters of Sports Medicine. It's, it's an online program, so you can study it from anywhere in the world. Um, and it, it's designed to be flexible in terms of, in terms of your study timetable. So it's what we call asynchronous. So we do a lot of discussion board chatter. Um, we have pre-designed learning activities that you can work through in your, at your own pace. And we also have lots of online video Lots of case examples, some like we've talked about tonight. So people can sort of, we position people virtually in these challenging situations. Yeah. You know, we recreate the, the situation or the tricky decision or the, you know, like you say, that the, um, you know, you're feeling this responsibility because you've got to make this really important decision. Um, and we recreate that online and then people can work their way through how or why they might make that decision. Um, so that's how we, we learn, I guess, those skills is to practice them. So how much trouble has YouTube and Google caused you over the years? <laughs> I, I choose to embrace it, Brett. I think... Um, okay, we're coming, yeah, I, I, I saw this on YouTube and that's the answer. <laughs> and you go, mm, yeah. maybe not. Yeah. yeah, it's a good place to start. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like, very visual. Old, yeah. Yeah. You have to yeah. show people, don't you, what you do. That's right. That's right. It's, a good, it's a good starting point too. I think um, Dr. Google is the other term that we yep. use. So they'll come in and say, you know, look, what's what are, what have I done? What's wrong with me? And I say, well, what did what did Doctor Google say? Um, <laughs> and, and then you know they've looked. Don't we have this all the time? <laughs> you know and then they'll look. tell me. <laughs> that's it. Then they'll tell me probably half the story of what they think is wrong with them, yeah. which which is really important. And that might be a question I ask anyway. What do you think is going on here? Yeah. Um, and that gives me a really lot of really helpful information. But so that means I can then say, well, you know what, that bit, yeah, your understanding is correct. I agree with that. Um, and then we can talk, focus on the half or three quarters or 80% <laughs> yeah, on the other um, <laughs> that, that wasn't quite right. Um, yeah, no, so I don't mind people having having Dr. Googled or, or YouTube or something like that. I, I think it also, you know, it's, it's a great way for people to be able to at least initiate the self-help or yeah. have an interest in what's going on with them. Um, 
and then I'm also extra pleased when then they come in to see me and say, well, I've read this and now what do you think? You know, is this correct yeah. and what else can I do better? Yeah, nice. So, look, we are just about out of time. So one of the things we do normally ask, I guess, is if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Make an appointment um, with you, yeah. How do they make an appointment with you? That type of thing. So... Yeah, thanks a lot, Brett. Thanks, thanks, Kat, for having me on the, the show. I'm at Alfington Sports Medicine Clinic in Melbourne, so you can find me there for an appointment. Um, you can also find me at the University of Melbourne on the Master of Sports Medicine uh, web pages. Yeah, lovely. And so that way they can just they can ring up the clinic to make an appointment if they want to either get an injury fixed or improve their performance. Or performance as well, yeah. But that's right. You can ring up or you can book online. Yeah, we do telehealth as well. So COVID's helped us with that. We, um, I'm also on telehealth, so it doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. Because um, I guess that would be a big one, especially for a lot of people that live down the bay, having to drive all the way into Melbourne, but they can actually talk to you over the phone and, and get that. That's right. That's right. So a lot, a lot of what we do is, you know, injury management, but it's a, a lot of advice, uh, a lot of exercise programs, optimising um, what you're doing and how you're doing it. And we can do a lot of that on um on telehealth thank you so much yeah wealth of wisdom you are um thank you so much for coming on the show as well so i'll put those links out where you could find sonia moore dr sonia moore um on my website as well okay so thanks thanks very much sonia it's been a great pleasure having on having you on the show and we'll, we'll look forward to catching up when you're next down in the bay thanks a lot it's a pleasure to be here i look forward to the next time in apollo bay also lucky us <laughs> Okay, good night. You're listening to The Wellness Couch, where science meets ancient wisdom, and we're your hosts, Brett and Katerina Morrison. We hope you'll join us for another session of The Wellness Couch on live radio next Thursday. Good night. Love and happiness to you all. Last night, a freight train rattled through my head. We're so close, love is dead. Is dead. Heart attack by fear and doubt. Won't belong till the truth comes out. First impressions never last.